I'm Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for Comscore with my newly relaunched podcast, Many Screens, Big Picture. And I'm so thrilled today to have the executive leadership team from Fall Line Entertainment. I want to welcome to the show, Crystal Trawick, Lamont Shedrick, and Brian Jeffries. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Paul. I think we're in a period where there's a lot of opportunity out there. And I know that Fall Line Entertainment has a very interesting perspective on the industry. I know that you're creating uh, faith-based and family films, which I think there's definitely a need for and a desire for people to have those kinds of movies. First, though, I want to talk to each of you about your role at the company. So, Crystal, I'll start with you. What is your role and uh, how did you enter into this new production company, if you will? Well, my position is the CEO of the company, but I will tell you, I feel more like a composer working with some of the best musicians in the world alongside Lamont and Brian. So I've been in the business or the industry since 1998. So it's been some time. I spent about 17 and a half years on the exhibition side of the business. Um, I started out at the very bottom, popping popcorn, uh, threading projectors, building and breaking down film. Back when it was in the 35 millimeter cans and not the button that we use today. Right. You know, so I, I really I started from the ground up in the business. I spent uh, a good four and a half years as a film buyer where I met some of my closest friends in the industry, as anyone knows on that side of the business. Um those Monday mornings can be brutal. Your best friends that loved you last week are angry with you because you have to squeeze out a title. And, you know, the ones that want that film on screen, you're their new best friends. So, you know, every Monday is a, is a different conversation with some of your friends. But at the end of the day, you still love each other. You know, you're all doing, you know, fair business and you build those relationships, um, which is where I met Lamont back when I was a film buyer. That's a fun story. I'll let him share right that with now. you. All right. All right. Let's go. We're going to jump right in. Okay. <laughs> this story does not end in my favor, Paul. Not one. Really? Time. I don't know. It's played a lot of character from Lamont's perspective. I mean, for me, with Lamont. So I think I, I knew I had a lifelong friend in him at the end of it. But um, back when I was a little young film buyer in my 20s, I was, you know, obviously very aggressive trying to figure out my territory. And they thought the best way for me to learn was to give me theaters all over the country. I think back then I was over about 465 screens. But anyways, I had territory all over the world, all over the U.S. And I had this um, a few theaters in a few towns. I won't say what state, but let's just say that I was unable to get content from uh, my dear friend Lamont. <laughs> and he just kept telling me my theaters there just don't gross. And I argued with him and said, if you just give me good movies, they'll gross. <laughs> <laughs> and so I never met Lamont face to face until uh, one of our conferences, Show South. And we met at one of the watering holes after one of the presentations. And there was a bunch of us uh, just, you know, communicate, hanging out and, you know, networking. And uh, a few pool tables happened to be involved. And Lamont asked me to play pool with him. And I said, well, I'd be happy to, but I'd like to put a wager on our game. Really? The fix was in play. <laughs> so he kind of gave me the look that, you know, some people do when they underestimate folks. And I knew I had him at hello. Ooh, this is good. <laughs> and so we played pool and it was ball in hand, last shot, eight balls in the back right corner. And I looked at him and I said, I'm going to call a three-wall bank and I'm going to cut the eight ball in. Okay. Getting goosebumps right now. And he just laughed and he said, all right. I said, but the wager is if I make this shot, I really want that film Monday morning. And this was Thursday, by the way. Day before release. <laughs> right. And so 
He said, okay, deal. And so my our VP at the time was John Lundeen, who I have a lot of respect oh, for. Oh, I know John, of course. Love, yeah, love John. He's quite the man. And I learned a lot from him. But I went over to him real quickly because he was standing there. And I said, I'm going to get that movie on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> so for those listening, this is how deals get made in Hollywood. Just, you know, for a bank shot. Uh, playing pool. That's a perfect segue to Pool Shark and Chief Distribution Officer of Fall Line Entertainment, Lamont Shedrick. Lamont, tell us what you do for the company and a little bit of your background. First of all, thanks for having us. It's a it's a wonderful treat to be with a living legend. Oh, You're man. too young to be called a legend, but I love you to death. And we we all You're gonna talk about Brian like that on my show? <laughs> tired of flirting with Brian. I'm flirting with you, Paul, and you're wonderful. I'll take it. But, uh, but the question being, uh, as far as what Crystal brought me on board, she said, Lamont, I want you to help me out with acquisition and distribution. To be honest, like I said, I, I grew up in an industry with some pillars, some smart industry vets from Tom Sherrick, Bruce Snyder, Rick Myerson, and Bert Livingston, Rusty Gauthier, Corey Balaban. So I learned a lot, but I, I was a little put off like, wow, am I able to help her do this? And one thing I've learned is, number one, you have to jump in that deep end if you want to stretch yourself. I believe in growing. I have 20 plus years of distribution, but I see, to be honest, Crystal is so savvy and I was going to walk away. I said, let me help you find someone because there's a lot of smart people. She said, no, Lamont, I want you. I said, Crystal, I, you know, I'm, I'm not too, I'm a little green with acquisitions, I started with Searchlight. I remember going to kind of look at movies, small movies along the way, some great people like Steve Galula and Nancy Utley, Peter Rice. I learned a lot. And I said, you know what? There is a way in which we can carve out a lane. I said, I want to help you because I believe in you and I believe in what's going on in Georgia. So I spent a lot of time, Paul, listening and sharing. We're meeting with a lot of uh, creative people, uh, a lot of producers. It's amazing how... People fall into your lap. You know, I wish I could say there's a strategy to all this. Sometimes it's just letting people know what you do and people pass you along. Uh, And I wish I could share more with some of the people we've been in discussions with. But a lot of listings and sharing. What I mean by that, we're not just looking for any title. We're looking for titles that fit what we're about. And we want to be a perfect marriage. It's like going on a first date. You know, we want to introduce, see what they're about. Because at this point in our journey, we want to create win-win solutions for not only ourselves, but our clients as well. And if we just make it all about the movies and keep it story focused and working with good leadership, I think we have something. It's finding that synergy. So that's pretty much what I do prior to releasing it, finding a release date that worked for all of us. Well, I I think your background makes you a perfect fit here. And certainly your work ethic, your ethos, uh, what you're all about. And again, having great mentors, all those wonderful names you mentioned earlier, that's all baked into your DNA, Lamont. I think that just shines through and that's really cool. And that's really a perfect segue to Brian Jeffries, who's the chief marketing officer for Fall Line Entertainment. Brian, give us a little bit of your background, how you got into this great collaboration with Lamont and Crystal. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because Crystal and I have crossed paths and I started back in the uh, 90s and and the aughts or whatever we call them these days, but started with uh, Carasotis, the George Carasotis side of the of, of the theater chain, and they were bought out by Carmike, 
And then I joined Carmike in Georgia, made the move, um, or as I like to say, went along with the furniture down to uh, Columbus. That's where I met Crystal. We interacted at different levels at that time. She was not in the film department. In fact, she followed me in the film department, but we had got to get a chance to get to know each other real well at that time. And then I went on to go to, I married a Texas girl. And as you can, <laughs> I guess uh, everyone knows you can't take the girl out of Texas. So in this case, I had to go to Dallas uh, to live with uh, with her. Gladly, I admit, don't want to make it sound like a death sentence, but I gladly went to Dallas, where I joined um, Cinemark. But all during that time while I was at Cinemark, I kept crossing paths with Crystal when she was brought on with a Fun Academy, which is its own story. And then also when I was reaching about the end of what I considered to be you know, where I was going with Cinemark. I had been with them a little over 13 years and, and the last couple of years had opened, well, uh, the total was somewhere in the 70s or 80s number of theaters. And I was just reaching that point where I had pretty much done what I had wanted to do with that company. And there was a new marketing team that brought, has been brought on and they are doing an awesome job. But I saw my path going a little differently. And it was then that Crystal and I had started talking again and it gave me an opportunity just before the uh, pandemic shot everything, you know, closed everything down. It gave me an opportunity to kind of walk away from the industry for a little bit of a mental break, kind of recharge my energy and recharge my batteries. And then also start to talk to Crystal about the vision she had for this company. And I'll tell you that the vision she had tied in nicely with the things that I did as VP of marketing at Cinemark. All of the projects that, as far as that goes, the entire marketing team at Cinemark did, the ones that Cinemark did the best, you could say AMC, Regal, Cinemark, they all carve out their pretty much predictable shares when it came to, you know, some of these hit hit films, blockbusters. But when it came down to those smaller films that needed to put your hands on them, I can only imagine, wonder, you know, even all the way down to the Indian films, those are the things that Cinemark as a company does really, really well at. And I got to see firsthand how that got done with their fantastic digital team, their business development team. It was really a thing to see. And, and, and I loved being a part of it. And it was something I wanted to bring to Crystal when it came to the types of films that we were looking at. You know, these are the things that I think are going to need that personal touch. And so when we started talking about ramping this company up and she was kind enough to make the offer, I got all excited about what I could bring. So here we are. I think that's really interesting because it seems to me that within this group, within the three of you is this great dynamic that brings together the knowledge of the distribution and exhibition side. So you kind of have all of that going on that certainly serves everyone well in this type of endeavor. And Crystal, what was it like going from being on the exhibition side to distribution? Because they're two different things. They're interrelated, but they're two different disciplines. What's it like to be on the other side of that? Well, I will tell you that uh, my first stint with distribution was when we released a film. I was actually introduced to a filmmaker from England. 
who had this grandiose idea about a dog in World War One, but he wanted to make it into an animated title and he wanted to sell it to four year olds. Okay, no challenge there. No, no, no. <laughs> um, and so that's to you know kind of consult on that a little bit with my my exhibition background and obviously being a film buyer. So I, I talked to him and kind of walked him through the challenges he would have, trying not to be discouraging but managing expectations. Needless to say, I was hired as their COO and asked to run his distribution internally to resolve those issues that I brought to his attention. Right. So, quite a challenge. Um, so my first stint with distribution was honestly bringing together uh, Lamont and several of uh, my sales peers in the industry on the distribution side, those that I had great relationships with and I thought would do a good job um, working alongside me, especially on a very difficult project. But we were able to get the film with our exhibition support on nearly 1,700 screens in North America. So that was my first stint. So to answer your question about what I feel like the biggest challenge or awareness was between exhibition distribution was I have a newfound respect to distributors. Right, because you see all sides now, um, and often we tend to get locked into what our lane is, Mm -hmm. but I think it's particularly relevant, important for a company like Fall Line Entertainment to kind of have that multifaceted set of disciplines through this team, and I want to ask you, like, how long have you been working on getting Fall Line Entertainment off the ground? Once we were able to successfully put the band together, so to speak, on (laughs) uh, the last film I mentioned... I think for me, it was working alongside filmmakers. I've always had a love for filmmakers and film, uh, most likely since I was probably five or six. I think at that time, my dad my dad had a lot of movies when I was growing up. And I remember one day I asked him how many films he had because we always watched different movies together. And he'd screen them first and then we'd see them. But he opened up his drawers in his living room and there was beta tapes lined from one end to the other. For those of you that remember what beta tapes are. Oh, I had a lot of beta tapes. We had, we, I think they're still in a box somewhere. <laughs> my dad, like you could watch a tape in my collection every day in the same year and never see the same movie twice. That's how many films my dad had. And so... You know, I I grew up watching movies. My dad gave me an appreciation, ironically enough, for the process of filmmaking, which I never thought I'd, you know, would ever come into play in my lifetime. But just, you know, the value and the production value of what different filmmakers were doing to make their films so different and stand out. He talked to me about implosions versus explosions in space movies uh, back when they weren't doing that. So, you know, look at that level of detail. I love that. My dad, yeah. So I just, you know, I've always had a respect for filmmakers. I've always had a passion for film. I never thought in a million years I'd end up in the industry. I I just randomly ended up with a part-time job one summer that turned into this 20 plus year career. So I'm grateful that the stars have aligned for me, but I really do have a respect for filmmakers. And I think for me, Back when we put the group together in 2000, I guess, 15 at the time, once that project was over, I thought to myself, you know, I really love working alongside filmmakers. I love the theater industry as a whole. I don't think there's any better place to see certain, especially specific titles on screen. I don't think there's a better out of your home form of entertainment for families than the theaters. And so for my passion for the theaters, my passion for filmmakers, why not put together a great team that can effectively work alongside producers, getting their passion to market and working alongside our partners in the film exhibition space? Well, I like what you said, Crystal, about loving filmmakers and the filmmaking process and respecting that because there may be some, I don't personally know any of them, but some folks in the industry who look at movies as widgets or product, but to me, they're like emotionally based works of art. Lamont, I want to ask you, what's been the biggest challenge with a startup 
company. You know, we all at some point in our lives want to do a startup, like want to start our own company. What's that been like for you, Lamont? It's been fun. It's been high pace. It kind of reminds me of my CinemaCon days. Back in the world, <laughs> actually, Show West. Show West, I was going to say. My first time going to Show West, I knew nobody, Paul. I knew the guys from my company, but they knew everybody. So once they went and started to schmooze with other people, I was by myself. Like I felt like I was in high school again. Same thing. I was not always the wallflower you know me to be now, but I, I remember my first show West was 1995, I want to say. And I remember exactly like you, I had some colleagues there, but then Everybody went and did their thing. I'm standing there like, what do I do now? So I totally relate to that. Hey, Paul, you know what I did? I went to the bar. I said, give me a drink that's going to let me sip on for a long time. <laughs> One of my colleagues at the, he used to drink McGallan. I'm like, I can't afford that. So give me something else. But I would sit there with a the drink and look like I was important until I finally seen someone that I knew. But that's what it's been like for me. But I have some great teachers. I tell you, I hate name dropping, but I really learned a lot from these guys. Chris Aronson, Spencer Klein, you know, Eric Gomez, they, they were very good relationship type guys where they light up a room. I used to watch people a lot, you know, when you're the new kid on at the school, you have to watch and learn. So I, I, I've been watching and learning. And I tell you, just really for fall line, letting people know that we're here. You know, letting people know what we're about and that we're here to stay in that vein. We, you know, it's been fun. And I wish the pandemic it slows things up, but we've been pretty busy. I just got back from Georgia. There's a lot of people excited about our industry. Our industry is here to stay. Our industry is resilient. It's changing. but Change is inevitable. And I think, you know, our exhibitor partners our distributors. We have a lot of, Paul, you know this, there's a lot of smart people in our industry. And I think as we're all putting our heads together, there's something beautiful going to come out about this. And I believe fall line, we're going to find a place at the table and our show West and CinemaCon, uh, people will start knowing who we are. And that's what this is about. I think that's really important. It's about those relationships, letting people know that you exist, what your mission statement is, Crystal, I want to ask you, this is, I think, the most important thing. What are the types of films that Fall Line will be focusing on? I mean, we have very specific lanes, but if you wanted to sum up what our mission, our passion is, is good storytelling that has an inspiration value. I mean, we want to focus on faith-based films and family titles and true stories that inspire the masses. You know, we feel like not just now in this economy that we're in, but long term, we want to be behind something that we love and that we enjoy selling. And we want to work beside those filmmakers, bringing their passion to the big screen. And we feel like if you love what you sell, it's not a hard sell. In fact, it's not selling at all. It's just presenting it. And that's what we want to be in the business to do. And when you say family or faith based, I presume you're meaning films that would be at most maybe PG rated, I would assume films that are appropriate for virtually any audience, but I presume they would be films that would have a universal message, films that could appeal to anyone. And I found that a lot of movies get pigeonholed into a certain genre. For instance, the rom-com, that used to be a great thing. Now, uh, a lot of studios run from that terminology. Do you feel that faith-based movies are perfect for staying in that lane, or are you looking to broaden that audience 
and trying to show that there are family friendly stories to be told that everyone can relate to. And you're not just appealing to one audience, but all audiences that's appropriate for everyone. I think you hit it on the head there. I mean, obviously, faith based films are beautiful and they're inspiring, but we don't want to limit them to just that audience. I mean, the stories that they tell are inspiring to all audiences. And I think working on with filmmakers and how that content can cross over to a general audience is important. I know annually Lamont, I, I can't remember how many films Lamont and Brian have told me collectively that they've bought and sold over the years. I know that I was reviewing and getting 700 plus films to market a year. So, I mean, you think about all the films that you've been behind that have gone to market that have you know, not been successful. And you think to yourself, if that filmmaker had just done this, or they have just tweaked this, or they just moved that scene over here, or they just marketed it to the audience it was meant for, you just think about all of those market responses to film in the marketplace based on your experience. You think you now have an opportunity to work with filmmakers from script to screen to you know head off a lot of those issues, but more importantly, deliver the product or the, the creative that they want in the hands of those that want it, want it the most. And I think there's a huge market for film, for faith-based and inspiration titles right now to cross over. Again, outside of our current situation in the pandemic, I think that there's a market for it. I think that it's short on content. And I think that we're in the right place at the right time with the right filmmakers to deliver that type of art. Well, I think that also, too, that there are audiences out there who feel underserved by Hollywood and that movies aren't being made for their point of view or, or whatever. Or the quality. I, I feel like, you know, you have some content out there and they're like, wow, the quality is just a short miss, you know, and there's just little things that we can work with. And if I could even add to that, we'll be on some of these Zoom calls and we're talking maybe specifically about a certain people, about certain titles. And the longer we get into the conversation about what we're trying to accomplish at Fall Line, they suddenly have this light bulb go out and it's like, well, Mm -hmm. I actually have another one of those. I have a film like that. I know someone who has a film like that. And so you realize how many people haven't even had the outlet for some of these titles until we were having this conversation. And a lot of, I I know some of the faith-based films have done very well. We're extremely profitable. I mean, we are talking about a business. I mean, of course, the filmmakers and the love of film is really important, but I know that certainly when you're going to distribute a movie and you're marketing a movie, you have to look at all those angles. Lamont, when it comes to faith-based do you lead with faith-based or is it more that it's family fair? What is the point of view, you know, where you're coming from when you're trying to market these movies? And of course, Brian and Crystal, of course, jump in on this, but I'm just curious if you put your movies in a certain category or if it's like, these are just great movies that happen to be family friendly and faith-based. I want to ask Paul, it depends, you know, it's funny within that group, The faith-based community wants to be recognized, but at the same time, our challenge is letting them know, hey, this story, it could be recognized from a broad standpoint as well. So not limiting ourselves is, to me, it would be best to the filmmaker's benefit and not just putting it in a box because movies, whatever one believes uh, or whatever their value system is, if we could find that central message in the projects that we are giving our audience, I think that's the win. And, you know, letting everybody know that we're more united than apart. I was on a plane, I think Delta, if you ever get a chance, you guys look at this, Delta has a piece. Even though we're going from country to country, we're going from city to city, 
people believe differently. There's a general connection that unites us together. Where I think when you give these movies a chance, you will realize that there's more unity than than separate. I agree with that. I think, too, uh, you know, we sometimes get bound up in these categories of things. It's like sequels. Some people are like, oh, sequels are terrible. Well, I don't care if the film has a 10 after the title, if it's really good. And I think it's about quality, not categorization, though. I think it is good because you guys are unique in that you are really focusing on faith based content, that that's good to have that so that people know what you're all about instead of trying to be all things to all people while still creating content that will be very appealing to general audiences as well. But I want to shift gears really quick, Crystal. And I want to talk to you about being a high profile female executive and what that journey has been like. There's not a lot of women who are the CEO, the owner and the president of their own company. Walk us through that a little bit. Wow. That's a big question. I don't think any situation or any career path that anyone takes, whether you're a man or a woman, is easy. I think we all have our challenges. I think gender can be an opportunity or it can be a challenge, depending on how you look at it. Look, I was adopted by my grandparents. My grandfather passed away a few years ago at 95. I was raised with a very old set of values. And, you know, it was to work hard, do the right thing, that your yes be your yes and your no be your no. And if you make a deal, you shake hands and look somebody in the eye. And that's how I've always been taught to work and what my ethics are. And I've operated my entire career with that. If challenges come up because of my gender, I've tried to plow through that and just set a good example to others. Because at the end of the day, what we can do is control our own actions. We can control how we respond to things. And I've always tried to take the positive upside of any situation and set a good example to others. And that's how I've really managed my career, my relationships in my career. I don't over-stereotype anyone gender or sex or demographic. I feel like, you know, I'm probably one of the most inclusive people you'll ever meet. I just don't see things that way. People are rainbow to me. (laughs) You know, I think we're learning over time that to have these preconceived notions about anything or anyone is just completely misguided. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even asking the question about some of this stuff just feels archaic to even bring it up. But I I definitely want to get your point of view on that. I want to switch gears again to Georgia. I know that at the end of a lot of movies, you see the Georgia peach and talk to our listeners about what Georgia means to fall line entertainment. Absolutely. The state of Georgia has uh, been growing their film industry for quite some time. Years and years and years ago, when I first started the industry, you know, you would talk film in Georgia and people would scratch their heads at, I mean, it just wasn't something you spoke about generally. And now it's in every conversation. I think the state has done an incredible job with the tax credits all of our conversations with filmmakers, that is part of our, not just our budgeting and finance, but they're planning on where they're going to set up production with the resources that the state of Georgia provides. Uh, the tax credits apply when they apply to a film on the production. In fact, there was a new bill that got, uh, not new, it's a few years old now, but uh, it used to be tax credits were limited to just the production on a film. Now they apply to post and uh pre-production, depending on an audit, a very good audit process they have. But you get 20% on your film for any filming or work done in production within the state of Georgia. You get the extra 10% to put this Georgia sticker at the end of your film, verifying that it was actually filmed here. So with a 30% tax rebate or tax incentive on films, you are seeing a lot of production happening here. I think the last economic impact number I saw was a $9.7 billion industry in the state. So, wow. Yeah. 
And what does it look like during pandemic? I mean, is it harder to get producers to start production? You have obviously protocols, compliance officers, all these different things you have to deal with in a pandemic. That's got to be incredibly challenging. What does that look like right now within this environment? Well, I think the old saying that where there's a will, there's a way mm-hmm. <laughs> That's for the state of Georgia. Yeah. In fact, I think not two months into the pandemic, we had a film that came right to Columbus, Georgia. It was an independent product or independent title, faith-based film. And they closed down their set. They handled everything with the CDC with multiple conversations throughout the week. They had a closed set, multiple coronavirus testings. So, I mean, they, and I met with the producer as she was leaving town and you know, just to kind of talk to her about the process. And again, there's there are ways to keep the cast safe. You don't see, you know, your talent running the streets and overexposing themselves to local residents during production. Um, they're mostly closed sets, but you are seeing production and backup. I don't want to say or venture to say that full scale, but we're seeing a lot more production coming through the States, I think, or, or Georgia, but I think that. You know, as we move forward, you know, into 2021 and we kind of see the next phases of the pandemic, I think that you're going to see, again, producers taking precautions necessary to make sure that our creative teams are able to move forward and making the magic happen. In terms of streaming versus theatrical, how are you at Fall Line Entertainment looking at that? Is it on a case by case basis? Do you look at some films as being better suited for the small screen, others for the big screen? How do you reconcile those? We believe that everybody can play well in the sandbox. We believe theatrical is not going anywhere. Right. You know, it's been here for years. And like I told you earlier, we're resilient. We're not going anywhere. Just like how when the television came on soon, everyone thought DVDs was going to take it. I think we're going to learn that the industry is adapting to this new change. And I believe there could be win-wins in all of these different areas. It's been a challenge, but between our exhibitor partners and us, we're going to figure out how best to go forward. And this pandemic has been a challenge, but I will also say it's been a blessing. It's helping us to evolve, to come out on the other side of this in a better way. And you have to be innovative as well, right? Yes, exactly. You know, that's shared by the three of us in in terms of how we're, you know, moving forward as a company, but it's also shared by every producer we're talking to. They want a theatrical experience for their film to begin with, and then we'll figure out the rest later, but they do want to start on the big screen. Well, I found that too. I, I, it's well known that I have a lot of filmmakers in my family and, and, and my friends. And I love streaming, by the way. This is not a slam on streaming, but there is nothing like that big screen experience. And I know for most filmmakers, when they're creating a movie that's 90 minutes or 120 minutes, and it's a dramatic film or a comedy, a narrative film, they want to see that first and foremost on the big screen. That's been a little more challenging right now. And as we've seen, a lot of big movies are waiting till 2021, waiting for the movie theaters to come back in a big way. But I think this does create an opportunity for a company like yours. And like Lamont said, it could be a blessing in a way because certain conversations and certain ways of doing business have been accelerated and it's changing the business. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. I want to ask you, Crystal, where do you see this company, Fall Line Entertainment, in five years? Well, hopefully, Paul will be right here talking to you about our success. Oh, I, I know we will. That's a date. 
I like that perfect answer. We'll be looking at five years of history of wonderful films brought to audiences around the world and, you know, obviously celebrating that with our partners and our filmmakers. I'm really, truly excited for Fall Line Entertainment. What a great executive leadership team. I can't wait to see what comes next. I know one thing you're going to have to work on is Lamont's uh, enthusiasm. But other than that, I think you guys are poised for absolute greatness. I'm so thrilled to have had Crystal Trawick, Brian Jeffries, and Lamont Shedrick, the Fall Line Entertainment team, on my Many Screens Big Picture podcast today. Thank you all so much for being here. Paul, it was an honor. Thank you. See you in five years.